Welcome to What's Up Wednesday. In these short episodes, I will summarize a recent study or journal article related to obesity management and discuss how to incorporate this latest science into your clinical practice. And of course, I'll be sure to include links to the articles in the show notes. So let's jump in. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me this week. And we are discussing a very important new clinical guideline that was just released by the American Academy of Pediatrics. So this is their clinical practice guideline for the evaluation and treatment of children and adolescents with obesity. And this is the AAP's first clinical practice guideline outlining evidence-based evaluation and treatment of children and adolescents with overweight and obesity. So this is really important that they have released this statement and these guidelines. It's really showing that um, a lot of these other organizations are recognizing the importance of starting to treat obesity. So it's very exciting. And when I got my hands on this guideline, I was so excited to dive in. And guess what, y'all? It is long. I thought I could get through it within an hour or so and summarize it, and it is very lengthy. So by all means, I will put the link to the full article in the show notes, but I will also include an executive summary, which is also available online. So I will include that in the show notes as well. Now, to save you all some time, I'm going to start with just reading the summary of the key action statements and consensus recommendations for these guidelines. But again, if you want to go into a lot more detail, there's a ton of really, really great detail in these guidelines. And I love how they really go into their approach and really approaching this also from a health equity point of view, which I think is so important that they did that. They included weight bias and stigma in all of this. So I think it was, it's a really great report for everybody to go through and read the full report. But if you don't have time for that, I'm just going to summarize some of the main key action statements and consensus recommendations for you all today. So the key action statements, there are 13 of them. So I will review those with you today and then review the consensus recommendations. So the key action statement one is that pediatricians and other healthcare providers who treat pediatrics should measure height and weight, calculate BMI, and assess BMI percentile using age and sex-specific CDC growth charts or growth charts for children with severe obesity, at least annually for all children two ages 2 to 18 years of age, to screen for overweight, which would be considered a BMI equal to or greater than the 85th percentile, but less than the 95th percentile, or obesity, which would be considered a BMI greater than or equal to the 95th percentile, and severe obesity, which would be considered a BMI greater than or equal to the 120th of the 95th percentile for age and sex. So again, we use these BMI charts in pediatrics, which is a little different than in adult obesity management. So be aware of that. Then the key action statement number two 
is that pediatricians and other healthcare providers should evaluate children two to 18 years of age with overweight and obesity for obesity-related comorbidities by using a comprehensive patient history that is obesity-specific, mental and behavioral health screenings, SDOH evaluation, which is those social determinants of health. So it's really important that we evaluate that as well. An obesity-specific physical examination and diagnostic studies. So in terms of those diagnostic studies, they discuss that in their key action statement number three. And they say that in children ages 10 and older, pediatricians and other healthcare providers should evaluate for lipid abnormalities abnormal glucose metabolism, and abnormal liver function in children and adolescents with obesity. Again, that's that BMI greater than or equal to the 95th percentile. And for lipid abnormalities in children and adolescents with overweight. So that's BMI greater than the 85th percentile, but less than the 95th percentile. So those are the lab recommendations that they recommend screening for to evaluate comorbidities. Then they have another key action statement 3.1, which is associated with this as well. And they say in children 10 and older with overweight, pediatricians and other healthcare providers may evaluate for abnormal glucose metabolism and liver function in the presence of risk factors for type 2 diabetes or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. In children 2 to 9 years of age with obesity, Pediatricians and other healthcare providers may evaluate for lipid abnormalities. Okay. Then the key action statement number four is that pediatricians and other healthcare providers should treat children and adolescents for overweight or obesity and comorbidities concurrently, right? So we want to make sure that we're treating the obesity at the same time as we're treating some of those weight-related complications such as diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, PCOS. Those are all some of the medical conditions that they talk about, obstructive sleep apnea, again, any weight-related complications. Key action statement number five is that pediatricians and other healthcare providers should evaluate for dyslipidemia by obtaining a fasting lipid panel in children 10 years and older with overweight and obesity, and may evaluate for dyslipidemia in children two through nine years of age with obesity as well. Their key action statement number six is that pediatricians and other pediatric healthcare providers should evaluate for prediabetes and or diabetes with fasting plasma glucose two-hour plasma glucose after 75-gram oral glucose tolerance, so it's an oral glucose tolerance test, or hemoglobin A1c. Key action statement number seven is that pediatricians and other pediatric healthcare providers should evaluate for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease by obtaining an ALT test. Okay, that is the test that is most highly recommended but they also say, and again, this is in the uh, the extended version of the guidelines, that even if ALT is normal, patient could still have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So just to be aware of that. And key action statement number eight 
is that pediatricians and other pediatric healthcare providers should evaluate for hypertension by measuring blood pressure at every visit starting at three years of age in children and adolescents with overweight and obesity. Key action statement number nine is that pediatricians and other pediatric healthcare providers should treat overweight and obesity in children and adolescents following the principles of the medical home and the chronic care model, using a family-centered and non-stigmatizing approach that acknowledges obesity's biologic, social, and structural drivers. So it's so important that we look at all of those different factors. Key action statement 10 is that pediatricians and other pediatric healthcare providers should use motivational interviewing to engage patients and families in treating overweight and obesity. So again, how we communicate with our patients is so important and studies show that motivational interviewing is more effective in weight management rather than just telling the patient what to do. So it's really important that they put that in as well. Um, the next one, number 11, is that pediatricians and other pediatric healthcare providers should, provi should provide or refer children six years and older and may provide or refer children ages two through five with overweight and obesity to intensive health behavior and lifestyle treatment. Health behavior and lifestyle treatment is more effective with greater contact hours, and the most effective treatment includes 26 or more hours of face-to-face, family-based, multi-component treatment over a three to 12-month period. Key action statement number 12 is that pediatricians and other pediatric healthcare providers should offer adolescents 12 years and older with obesity, anti-obesity pharmacotherapy, according to medication indications, risks, and benefits as an adjunct to health behavior and lifestyle treatment. And when you look at the longer document here, um, they do talk about metformin. Of course, that would be considered off-label use if we were using it for obesity treatment specifically, and they mentioned that. We know that Orlistat is FDA approved and is approved for the use in adolescents. We know that Phentermine is approved for age 16 and above. We know that we now have Qsimia, Semaglutide, and Liraglutide all approved for ages 12 and over. So we have more pharmacologic treatment options available. And they also talk about some off-label use of topiramate, again, uh, metformin and some other medications that can be used off-label in the treatment of obesity. Their key action statement 13 is that pediatricians and other pediatric healthcare providers should offer referral for adolescents 13 years and older with severe obesity. Again, that's a BMI greater than or equal to the 120th percentile of the 95th percentile for age and sex for evaluation for metabolic and bariatric surgery to local or regional comprehensive multidisciplinary pediatric metabolic and bariatric surgery centers. So those are their 13 key action statements. And for all of those, they have um, the grading for the evidence or quality of strength of the evidence. So, you know, grade B, grade C, grade A, 
And then they also have a CPG section, uh, which is where you can find these recommendations. So whether it's in the diagnosis and a diagnosis and measurement section, evaluation section. So if you want to read more about it, you can find more information in those sections in the document. They also provide consensus recommendations, and those are as follows. They recommend that providers perform initial and longitudinal assessment of individual structural and contextual risk factors to provide individualized and tailored treatment of the child or adolescent with overweight and obesity. They recommend obtaining a sleep history, including symptoms of snoring, daytime somnolence, nocturnal anuresis, morning headaches, and inattention, especially among children and adolescents with obesity to evaluate for obstructive sleep apnea. And then they recommend obtaining a, a, poly, a polysognogram, so a, a sleep test for children and adolescents with obesity and at least one symptom of disordered breathing during their sleep. They recommend evaluating for menstrual irregularities and signs of hyperandrogenism. So things like hirsutism and acne amongst female adolescents with obesity to assess risk for PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which as we know is related to insulin resistance, which is related to obesity. So it's important that we're screening for that. They recommend monitoring for symptoms of depression in children and adolescents with obesity and to conduct annual evaluation for depression for adolescents 12 years and older with a formal self-report tool that has been validated. They also recommend performing a musculoskeletal review of symptoms and physical examination as part of your evaluation for obesity. And they go over this in more detail when they're talking about um, things like Blount's disease and SCFE, the slipped capital femoral syndrome, and if that is suspected. They recommend immediate and complete activity restriction and non-weight bearing with use of crutches and referral to an orthopedic surgeon for emergent evaluation if slipped capital femoral epiphysis is suspected. And pediatric healthcare providers may consider sending the child to an emergency department if an orthopedic surgeon is not available. Providers should also maintain a high index of suspicion for idiopathic intracranial hypertension with new onset or progressive headaches in the context of significant weight gain, especially for females who are much more likely to suffer from this. And this was previously known as pseudotumor cerebri. And so this is definitely something that we need to be aware of. It can lead to blindness and patients, especially female patients with obesity are at a much higher risk of this. They recommend that providers deliver the best available intensive treatments to all children with overweight and obesity, and that providers build collaboration with other specialists and programs in their communities, because it may not always be the primary care provider who has access and availability for all of these types of services in their practice. So it's important that we partner with other specialists and programs in the communities. 
They also say that clinicians may offer children ages 8 through 11 of uh, years of age with obesity weight loss pharmacotherapy according to medication indications, risks, and benefits as an adjunct to health behavior and lifestyle treatment. In terms of implementation of consensus recommendations, they have four of those as well. So those are as follows. One, the subcommittee recommends that the APP and its membership strongly promote supportive payment and public health policies that cover comprehensive obesity prevention, evaluation, and treatment. They state that the medical costs of untreated childhood obesity are well-documented and add urgency to provide payment for the treatment. They say that there is a role for APP policy and advocacy in partnership with our other organizations to demand more of our government to accelerate progress in prevention and treatment of obesity for all children through policy change within and beyond the healthcare sector to improve the health and well being for children. Furthermore, targeted policies are needed to purposefully address the structural racism in our society that drives the alarming and persistent disparities in childhood obesity and obesity-related comorbidities. And I will just add that the same is true for adult obesity and obesity-related comorbidities. Number two, the subcommittee recommends that public health agencies, community organizations, healthcare systems, healthcare providers, and community members partner with each other to expand access to evidence-based pediatric obesity treatment programs and to increase community resources that address social determinants of health in promoting healthy, active lifestyles. Number three, the subcommittee recommends that EHR vendors, health systems, and practices implement CDS systems broadly in EHRs to provide prompts and facilitate best practices for managing children and adolescents with obesity. And fourth, and lastly, the subcommittee recommends that medical and other healthcare profession schools, training programs, boards, and professional societies improve education and training opportunities related to obesity, both for practicing providers and in pre-professional schools and residency and fellowship programs. They state that such training includes the underlying physiologic basis for weight dysregulation, motivational interviewing, weight bias, the social and emotional impact of obesity on patients, the need to tailor management to social determinants of health that impact weight, and weight-related outcomes and other emerging science. So again, those are just some of the summaries of what this guideline, this clinical guideline states. I highly recommend that you read through the whole thing. You may want to set aside a half a day to read it because it is quite lengthy, but there's so much important information in there. And again, I will put uh, the link to the full clinical guideline, as well as the executive summary in the show notes. And I just want to say that 
I think it's really a great step forward that we are seeing so many organizations come up with clinical practice guidelines for the treatment of obesity, and that this is really finally starting to be prioritized for our patients because our patients deserve it. This is a chronic disease. Patients deserve access to evidence-based care. And yes, there are a lot of barriers, but if we work on this together, I strongly believe that we can start overcoming those barriers one at a time. Thank you so much for joining me this week on What's Up Wednesday, and I will see you back next week for another episode of the Gaining Health Podcast. See you then. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gaining Health Podcast. Don't forget to review and subscribe, and if you really liked it, consider supporting us on Patreon. Lastly, if you need resources and tools to help you start an obesity management program, be sure to check out gaininghealth.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Gaining Health Podcast.